Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest um, guests joining us via Zoom is the Broderick family. We have Joni and Phil, who are the married parents of Kyle, who's also on the podcast. I can see them on my screen, zooming in from Virginia, but you will hear them. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Um, some of my guests I reach out to and kind of gently invite them to be on the podcast. And um, the Brodericks have been willing to be on the podcast. I've been following their story for quite a while. It was recently fe- featured in Lift and Love, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But it it prompted me to reach out to them and see if they were willing to share their story. Um, Phil and Joni, how long have you two been married? Um, so what is, can we put you uh, on the spot? 30, no, it's like 39. 41. No, 39 years. <laughs> oh, sorry. 39. Yeah, I should always just trust Joni on that. A long time. See, I have these spontaneous questions. My wife and I often aren't quite sure how many years we're married, but um, they're the parents of four kids, ages 22 through 35. They had three girls and they had Kyle. And Kyle's joining us on the podcast, going to share his story of coming out uh, gay and um, just their journey to support and love their son, Kyle. And um, I, I think our joint prayer is that if you're walking this road as LDS parents and have a gay kid, that this family's been on this road for several years now. Some of the insights, impressions, and feelings will help you, as well as listening to Kyle, who's you know walking this road as a gay Latter-day Saint, and his story perhaps will help you understand um, the road that our gay Latter-day Saints, queer Latter-day Saints walk. Um, is that okay for an introduction? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Tell us, if I haven't mentioned already, where do you live in Virginia? Uh, we live in Ashburn, Virginia, right right outside of D.C. Okay, and um, are, are the parents from Virginia, or did you grow up in Utah and take work in Virginia? So we grew up in Orem, Utah, uh, both Joni and I, and uh, I graduated from BYU in 1987, and we moved out here in 1987. So we've actually been out here longer than we were in Utah. And when you went there, some people leave Utah, and they always say we're coming back to Utah to raise our kids, and some people get out there and then sort of like, this is really a good place to raise a family. We're staying. Any of that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, that's what we decided. We love it out here. And, uh, you know, my parents have both passed, but before they passed, they were always asking me, when are you moving back to Utah? <laughs> and our answer was, uh, well, dad, probably never. And so, uh, so they finally stopped asking us after about year 20. Yeah. But uh, no, we love it out here. And, and we, we have, we feel like this is home. And um, we've this is the third podcast we've done from your ward. We did Thomas Fairholm, shared his story as a gay Latter-day Saint, episode 4112. Then we did the Seacrest, if I'm saying their last name correctly. Uh, Brittany Seacrest, Maeve, and Brittany um, was mm-hmm. episode 497. So this will be episode somewhere in the 500s. So um, we're glad to share multiple pod, multiple stories from this wonderful ward. But Kyle, um, let's have you start. I think the first 30 or 40 minutes of this podcast, listeners, will be Kyle sharing his story. So Kyle, um, thanks for being on the podcast and bravely sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to share my story. Um, yeah, let's. I guess we can just start with growing up. Um, you know, growing up, we were just a pretty normal Mormon family. We followed all the rules. We went to church. You know, nothing out of the ordinary for an LDS family. And I probably realized in middle school, maybe a little bit before that, but definitely in middle school, I I probably knew I was gay. And it's just kind of you just the natural thing you do when you're you know, a gay person in the churches, you just, you just don't think about it. You don't accept it. You just push it down. That's just like how it is. Like, there's not even like a thought. It's not even an option that you, that you talk about it or come out or even accept it in your mind. Like that, that's just, you just don't even do it. Um, so yeah, I, I probably, I realized I was gay and I just, I knew, I knew that I, I just wasn't gonna ever talk about it. And I was just gonna marry a woman and just be a normal LDS person and everything was going to be great that way. And I just felt, I just knew in the back of my mind, I was like, like, this kind of sucks. Like I've not, nothing is like, I, things are going to be fine, but probably nothing's going to be great. Like it's not ever going to be great because it's just like, that's just not who I am. Um, and yeah, that was, that was growing up. And then all through, through high school, through middle school, I, d- I dated girls I did all the new, all the normal stuff and everything was fine. I'm like, I'm a pretty extroverted uh, person. So I could, you know, get along with girlfriends and they were basically just really close friends to me. And I just felt like I could make it work. And then I went to BYU freshman year and I was getting ready for a mission and everything. And I finally came out to a couple of people at BYU. Um, it was kind of pulled out of me by people, but I, I finally came out and I, I still think I, I just had that same, same idea. I was like, I'm just going to serve a mission. I'm going to make marrying a woman work. Like there was just, that's just what you have to do. You're not growing up in the church. You're not provided with any other options. You're not provided with any other, no, no way of thinking out outside of that. You know, if, if you do think outside of that, it's, it's a you know big deal. Um, And so, yeah, let's, let's move on to the mission, I guess. So i I interviewed for my mission with my bishop at BYU and he, he was really great. He actually had a gay brother and I, I told him that I was gay and he was just like, he was like, I totally understand. That's great. You keep all the rules. You're good. Like let's serve a mission. And I just knew I felt getting ready for a mission. I felt like I don't really see myself long-term in the church. I don't, I don't see a way for this to work out. But I think that if I go on a mission, I can make it work out. Like that, that's where I'll be so into the church that everything will just have to work out and I'll just start, you know, believing it for myself. And so I got called to Mozambique, Africa, Portuguese speaking. And I went to the MTC and it was just, it was really exciting. Everything was really new, learning a language, meeting new people. Everything's just really exciting. I just felt, just terrible. I just felt terrible. I just felt like I, like an imposter, like, like a fraud. Like I was just learning things that I didn't see myself in. I didn't fully believe it for myself. I didn't really believe that this was going to be a happy path for me, but I still felt like I just had to keep on making myself believe it. And I actually came out to all the sisters in my district and to one, one guy that I was pretty close with in my district. And they were great and, and they, they were really accepting. And it was good for me to, at this point in my life, I was 
not hiding the fact that I was gay. I was from like the public, but I wasn't hiding it from myself. And I wasn't hiding it from really close friends. But I still, in the back of my mind, just felt like I, I had to either make marrying a woman work or that, that, was, that was just like the only thought of my mind. Like I'm, and I, I didn't believe that I could do it. And that's why I was on the mission thinking during this time, I can convince myself that that can work. And I remember just some things just didn't sit right with me just at the MTC and just teachings in the church in general. And there was one conversation at the MTC and this teacher was great. I, I have, you know, I've hung out with him after I've come back from the, my mission and everything. Um, but we just had, it was the law, it was the, um, the chastity conversation, like, you know, learning how to teach it. And so we're having that discussion and the topic of homosexuality came out and most of the people in my district knew I was gay. And so I'd kind of like give them like the glances every once in a while. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is kind of crazy right now. <laughs> and so, and I just, at one point we we're just talking about homosexuality and I think people were just kind of diving into it. And the teacher just said like, I can't think of anything more unnatural or against God's plan than homosexuality. And it's just like, at that point, I felt like, how can I, how can I believe this for myself? Like that is not something I believe. And I'm about to go on this mission where I, I kind of have to believe that I have to teach that. And it just didn't, it just didn't feel right for me, but you know, coming home while you're at the MTC isn't, isn't really an option. I mean, for a whole mission, it doesn't really seem like an option, but you know, definitely. Um, I, de- I definitely wasn't planning on going home when I was at the MTC. And then I went out into the field and I, I, I went to Mozambique and the first few weeks were really probably, probably first few months too, were really great just because you're, you're in a new country, you're learning a new language, you're meeting new people. I mean, you're in Africa, like it's just, it's fun and it, it's exciting. And then I got really into the, the teaching part. And I, like I said, at the MTC, I just felt, I just, I felt like I was regurgitating lessons that I was taught to taught to teach. And I didn't see myself in these plans that I was presenting to people. Like I, I literally was just teaching things that I knew how to teach, but things that I didn't believe really. And I, I definitely didn't believe was an option for myself. And it got to one, it was one P day and I was just like sending emails home, just like thinking about home. And I, I just got to the point where I was like, I feel like I'm just, I'm wasting time because I don't see this. I don't see myself following this path that I'm supposed to follow in the church. And if I stay here, I'm just going to be here for two years just to, for what? For something I don't believe in. I like, and I just didn't really didn't feel right with me. And not only that, but we, at that day we had like a, my, me and my companion had a bike ride that was like 30 minutes long. It was a really long bike ride. In that entire bike ride, I just was just crying to myself. I was just crying literally the whole way until like a few minutes until we reached our destination. I was like, all right, pull it together, pull it together. And I kind of realized at the end of that, I was like, look at myself. Like, I don't believe what I'm teaching. It doesn't, I don't fit in this plan. I'm severely unhappy. And I don't, I don't plan on, I, I don't see myself being happy, forcing myself to believe these things that I know won't work for me because I'm not going to change. And so that's when we had a district meeting 
And I kind of, I was on a split with my district leader and I just pulled him to the side. And luckily he was, he was Brazilian, but he spoke some English. And I was just like, listen, I'm gay. I don't believe this stuff that I'm teaching. I'm not happy here. I don't want to teach it anymore. And I need to go home. It was, that was just it. I, was, I just have to go home. I'm not staying here any longer. And so I had to call my mission president. And that was a little bit harder because he really didn't speak English. And so I had to use my really bad Portuguese from only, only being in Mozambique for a few months. And I told him that too. I was like, I'm not happy. I, I'm gay. And he was, he basically told me, okay, well, you haven't broken any rules, so you can stay. And I was like, I know I haven't broken any rules, but I'm not happy. And I don't, I don't want to teach this anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't, it's not just that I'm not happy. It's that I don't, I don't resonate with what I'm teaching. I don't believe it for myself. And so he, we, we, uh, he, so he basically told me, if you're going to come home for this reason, then you need to tell your parents why you're coming home. You can't just come home without an explanation. Um, and so I had to go, I had a little voice recorder. I would send voice, voice memos home instead of writing long emails. Cause and I just, just so like, our list, I don't want to interrupt you. You're yeah. doing great. Just so our listeners understand, are, have you been out to your parents before or not no. out to your parents? Okay. I was not out to my parents. Okay. Yeah. So they, keep, they, keep have, they have no idea. They have no idea. <laughs> um, and of course my emails home are all the positive things or all the great things. I'm not going to, you know, tell them I'm severely unhappy or anything. Um, but so he says, you have to tell your, you have to tell your family why you're coming home. And so I got my voice uh, memo thing. And I also didn't want to tell like my companion or anything that I was gay. Um, oh, we should talk about that actually. Yeah. Let's go back to that. So <laughs> um, another, another thing that was, you know, kind of hard was my companion, you know, I mean, like my companion wasn't the greatest. And we, at one point were um, cleaning, we were cleaning like the tub that we baptize people in. And we were just kind of chatting and I don't know how it came up. I certainly didn't bring it up. Um, but he, he said something around, uh, like along the lines of, you know, I've kind of noticed like gay people really just like started coming out at the same time that social media became a thing. And I, I really just feel like there's a correlation between, you know, people coming on, on social media. And so people kind of just see it as a trend. And so now lots of people, and I, I literally was just listening to him and I was like, this is so crazy. This is so crazy. Like I'm here gay, you know, desperately wishing I wasn't. And you're trying to tell me that this is a trend that people are picking up because they see people tweeting about it. Like, it's just so crazy that people think like that. And I just, I knew that I, I couldn't, that wasn't who I was. That was I, being a part of something that, that, you know, enforced that mindset or people who like thought like that. And I, I just, it just wasn't who I, who I was. And so I, you know, that was, you know, part of the reason too, I, I just knew I had to come home. So I have to send this voice memo. And so I go out into our, like our little balcony, I close the things. So I don't want anyone to like, listen to me. And I'm just bawling into this, into this microphone. And I'm like, I'm gay and I'm coming home. And the president said I could come home and I'm sorry. And I know it's crazy and all this stuff. And I've never listened to that voice memo again. It's, it's, um, it's a pretty crazy voice. My parents, I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Um, but you know, and and there and then we planned a time for a video for a video conference, and we got on a video call like a week later, um, or maybe oh. days later. Same, same day. Same day. Hour. <laughs> Let's just okay. Well, that that just goes to show. For me, it felt like it felt like weeks. <laughs> yeah, we hear a voice recording, and it will be. I'll be on a video. I'll be able to call you in one hour. 
So us from us hearing this, and there's a huge time difference from us hearing this, this message to when we actually get to speak with them is within an hour. So we're like, what do we say? What do we do? Like we had all this information. Yeah. So I, I threw a lot on them. I was yes. like, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm gay. Your life's about to get flipped upside down. Mine certainly is. And all this stuff. And, you know, they, they did the best with that information that they could. And, and they can talk more about that later. But it, it basically, I, they, they tried kind of getting me to stay there and trying to hold out. Don't make any rash decisions. And I just, I, you know, this is something I've been thinking about for, I mean, my whole life, but certainly on the mission all the time. And I was like, guys, I'm, I am coming home. There's, I'm not, I'm not making this work. This, I don't want to make this work. It's not, it's not for me. And so I got on a plane a few weeks later um, and I, and I came home and they greeted me with the welcome home stuff and all that stuff. And that was good. And, you know, you think there, there is a huge stigma around like coming home early from a mission of like of shame or they did something wrong or they weren't cut out for it or they're a quitter. I, I, I really though, I just didn't feel that because I it just didn't, I knew what my story was. I knew what I was going through and I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't quitting it because I wasn't cut it, cut out for it. I knew that I was quitting it because it, it wasn't for me. That, that wasn't, that wasn't my path. That wasn't what I was like meant to be doing. Um, and so I came home and the family was just, was great. They, uh, and honestly, what they just did was they just listened. Um, they, they understood what I was saying. They were supportive. They were loving. They didn't push ideas on me. They didn't tell me what path I had to take. Um, and so I just got to kind of figure it out myself. And it was kind of like, I came home and there was kind of just like a, a switch in my mind. And I, you know, growing up in the church, you're kind of, the church kind of tells you what, how happiness comes about, how, you know, how to be happy, not only how to be happy, but that the happiness we feel from, from being in the church is unlike any other happiness in the world. And it's the, it's the greatest happiness and you can't find that elsewhere. And I just, I think to myself, I'm like, I've followed all the rules. I've done all the good things. I went on the mission. I repressed being gay. I, I, and those were the unhappiest mo- moments of my life. Like, what else could I do? That was it. And then I kind of just like had that switch. And I was like, okay, I don't want to cry. I had that switch. And I was like, I don't, I don't have to live by that, those rules. And I don't have to let, I can define happiness for myself. Like how can, how can the church define or tell me like how I can be happy? And so I realized once I kind of let go of that, once I let go of the church dictating how I could be happy, I could find my own happiness. And, you know, being out and being gay and living a gay lifestyle, you know, has made me so much happier than doing all the quote unquote right things. And so once I kind of let that go and and like, once I started realizing that like happiness isn't one path, it's not one strict, um, you know, the narrow path, as we like to say, like you can find that for yourself. And that certainly wasn't it for me. It certainly wasn't it for me. Um, and I just, I just can't imagine a, a life for myself where I'm fully happy 
repressing, repressing who I am. Like that, that's just not how it was meant to be. Um, okay, let me check my notes because I'm, I'm going to get lost in thought. Is there, do you have any, do you have any questions? <laughs> my impression is let you keep talking. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Oh yeah. Okay. So I came home and everyone's really supportive and especially my mom really just like, she, she really dove into it. She, she was like, I'm not only going to like support my kid, but I'm going to, you know, make it a big part of me to advocate for this and, and do everything I can to, to learn and to help. And the beginning of that, when we were both going through this together was she introduced me to some people, some stories and some people individually who are taking certain paths. And some of those paths were staying in the church and marrying a woman or staying, staying in the church and, and being celibate. And I, I heard her out and I listened to it, but I just, I just knew that wasn't for me. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to marry a woman. And I'm also not going to try um, to, to, you know, live this life where I'm, I'm going to try to do that, you know, make the best with what I've, what I've been given. Like I've been, I'm gay and I'm, I'm going to live a gay lifestyle. That's just, I'm not going to repress that anymore or let live inside this like box of how I'm supposed to be lit, how I'm supposed to be living or how gay uh, Latter-day Saints are supposed to approach being gay. Like I'm going to approach being gay how I want to approach it. Not, not these like lit, certain paths that the church presents to me. Um, and so I, I kind of just, I told her that and I was just like, I, I appreciate these, uh, these resources, but for me, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't see the church as a part of my life. I don't see that in the future as that being a part of my life or these, these paths as being things that will make me happy in the, in the long run. And so that was kind of just the point where I just, I just said, I I'm, I'm not going to be a part of the church. That's not, that's just not going to be a part of my life. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to go off and be crazy and be anti anything. It just, it just wasn't the path for my life. Um, and, and they were really, really supportive of that. And, you know, to me, people are going to find the path that, that makes them the happiest and do what, what works for them. And for parents, whether or not they think it's like, you know, right, right for, right for them or their opinions on it or how they were raised, they're going to come to that conclusion anyway, that the kid is. And so all parents can do really is kind of be there to support them, help them and guide them. And so I was really fortunate that they were there for me to just like, just support the choice that I was going to make. Cause no one, you know, no one knows what's going to make me happiest, you know, besides myself. And I've, I've tried all, I've tried all the things I've tried the the girls and I've tried the, you know, pushing it down. And, you know, you just have to follow what you know is going to be the best for yourself. And so, you know, after the mission and after that flick or that switch um, happened, I just, I just felt free. I just felt different. Like I didn't have this like thing over my head of, oh, it's, it's never going to be great because because you're gay and, and, you know, it's never going to be great. Now I, I just kind of switched and I was like, it can be great. It can be whatever I want it to be. Um, and so that was, that was like kind of a big, a big point in my life. And that was happening while I was at BYU. So this was after the mission, I was back at BYU. And around that time, I I'd already knew in my head that I, I was leaving the church and that I wasn't going to be active. 
And around that time was when the honor code stuff was going down too. And so BYU had taken out the part in the honor code about um, homosexuality and what they can and can't do. And so when that was taken out, it was a kind of a big celebration. People were like, oh my gosh, like, can I, can I go on dates? Can I hold hands with a boy on campus? Like, I don't have to like hide anymore. And it was a big deal. And it was, you know, really celebrated. And someone had talked to the honor code specifically and asked like, hey, is this true? Like, can we really? And they had confirmed to us. They said, yeah, yeah. Like, it looks like we, there's no punishment that can be involved with, you know. Being treated the same. As you can just be treated, that you can date just like anyone else can date. And that was, that was huge. I was like, the perfect timing. Like, I just came out. I just got home. I, I want to date. I want, I want to find, like, I've been, you know, repressing this my whole life. Now I can finally, like, you know, be with a boy or something. And, and then soon, and it was really great. And then soon after they were like, uh, actually like misunderstood, actually you can't like, I know we took it out, but still you, you will be punished for it still if you do that. And that was when all the protests start started. And that was like, because, you know, when they took out that part of the honor code, people felt safer, people felt happier, people felt more hopeful. People came out of the closet because they felt like it was a little bit of a safer place for them. And so for them to kind of go back on that was a really, a really big deal. And that, that's why there was all that protest. Um, and then that's when, I'll let my mom talk about that later, but that's when, you know, my mom came out and, and protested with us. And that was kind of a point where it was like, Okay, so not only like are my parents going to be supportive of me, but they are, are they're fighting for me. They're fighting for us. They're fighting for this community too. And they're not just going to, you know, they're not just doing this for me. They like this is this is for a whole community. This is for like a greater good, especially within a church where a lot of people feel unsafe. Unsafe and unhappy, you know, being gay, being queer and you know, it it was I think, you know, the honor code stuff was you know, kind of a, a good, good thing for us in the, in the sense that we kind of came together and, and like realized that we, you know, care about this cause and we want to fight for this cause. And that's when my mom kind of realized that she really wanted to dedicate a lot of time and, and a lot of her life to, you know, fighting for people in the church to have a better and safer experience. Um, and yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really know what else to say. I graduated. I'm happy. I am. I'm out and I'm gay and it's all great. And <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, t- I talked a lot. I don't know if our, you have any questions. Our listeners like to hear from our guests. They can hear from me anytime. So <laughs> um, I bet they have a lot of questions they'd like to ask you, but I think the f- just thanks for being honest with your story, Kyle. This is a safe place. Listeners, we try to share people's stories and uh, your story is real and valid and your lived experience. And, Thank you for sharing it and all that you did to make this work and tell our listeners, I want to come back to your story, but I want to um, get your parents talking Just tell our listeners what you graduated in and where you, and what kind of work you're doing. Yeah, I graduated with a degree in information systems and I'm a software engineer now. Uh, yeah. And I'm loving it. I'm living in DC. I'm working remote. So I don't ever have to leave my apartment, which is awesome. Um, yeah. That's great. So I think I became aware of your mom when I was aware, I knew the protest was going on. Um, I think it was in Salt Lake City, the one I'm thinking about. And that's probably when I became aware of your family. So I'll let either your mom or your dad pick it up from here. Do you want to go? 
Sure. Um, all right. Well, do you want me to? You can start wherever you want to start, Joni. You can start with the learning your son's coming out of a mission. He's gay at the same time. You could start wherever you want to start. Okay. Well, um, one thing that Phil and I thought would be a little bit important just to give a very brief about how we grew up in the Good. church. We both grew up in the church, born, you know, born in the church. Um, Phil's family goes way, way back, has pioneer heritage. Um, so we grew up uh, in the 1970s. So, and we both grew up in Orem, Utah, which is in Utah County, which is, um, you know, pretty homogenous as far as people uh, being the same, um, looking the same, believing the same. And uh, I was, was just recalling as I was talking to Phil about this, I don't even, I didn't even know growing up all through my school years, I didn't even know anyone that was not a member of the church. It just didn't cross my path. So I knew no one that was not a Mormon. Uh, I didn't know any people of color, didn't know any, like that was my growing up all through even going up, going to college, my early years in college. So um, we grew up in the seventies. I was raised by a single mother and uh, just had one brother. But the reason I mentioned that is just that my, my mother uh, really relied on the church almost as like a second parent to help us. And it was uh, to help you know, know how to raise, raise her children. So um, pretty much any rules or guidance that the church gave was, was what was taught us um, through her, through home teachers, through young women leaders. And, and the church was utilized very much, almost kind of like a second parent. So any teachings that the church had in that time period of me growing up in the 70s was very much a part of my life and my teachings and the things I was taught. And at that time, the church taught things about gay people that were hard, that were very hard. And that they, uh, you know, that gay, being gay was wrong, not only wrong, but it was evil. Um, even sometimes, uh, you know, listed as next to murder. So that is how I was raised. And I think that's really important to, for our listeners to know, because that even though maybe the church has softened their beliefs on LGBTQ people, it is not talked about. And so even going into, uh, you know, into our years of raising the kids, if the church softened some of its stances, it was never really talked about. Yes, maybe it was changed on a website or, you know, added to a website, but it's very deep in there and it's not really talked about. And so then our incorrect, te our teachings that we were taught are still in our head. And so that is what makes it very difficult. And so what made my huge turnaround and what I'm so grateful for is to have, have this sudden, <laughs> sorry, um, because I know him. I gave birth to him. I raised him. I know of his goodness. I know of his soul, his heart. And so when he tells me he's gay, that just does not fit with what I was taught. And so I'm at a crossroads and I have to restart everything. And so that is um, 
sorry, I'll let Bill take over because I don't, didn't mean to get so emotional. But that is um, one of the reasons when you don't have skin in the game, so to speak, you know, you can just go along and everything fits fine with the church. Everything is going along fine and smooth and works for everybody until, until it doesn't. And this is something that became a crossroads for me, for our family, because we love Kyle. And um, so this isn't just Kyle coming out and having this journey. This is a journey for our whole family. Our whole family has been on this journey and it has actually, it has blessed our lives immensely. It's been one of my greatest blessings. And I'm really grateful for that. You want me to add on here? Sure. So, you know, just to add on to what, what Joni said, um, you know, I, both of us raised in, in Orem and, you know, if I don't think I knew any gay people in my growing up years and it, sometimes there would be rumors that so-and-so was gay. And if that, if, and those, and that was considered scandalous. I mean, that was considered, you know, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's really bad. And so, yeah, it, times have changed. Thank goodness. And, you know, and and maybe I will just jump to, you know, Kyle's now four months into his mission. We're so proud of him for going on a mission. And we're uh, we talk to him every single week and it's all good. Right. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. Every, yeah. He's telling us how wonderful it is. He tells us he has a difficult companion. But other than that, he's you know, he's working it out and he's doing great. Kyle's always had a tremendous amount of self-confidence and he's very talented and he's, and so we knew he could handle anything. And then all of a sudden we get this voice memo that Kyle described and it was kind of like a double whammy. It's kind of like being punched in the face twice. <laughs> um, um, dad, I'm coming Mom and dad, I'm coming home. Mom and dad, I'm gay. And though, you know, we didn't know either one of those things. And so that was, you know, that I have never gone back and listened to that recording again. I probably don't want to, just like Kyle doesn't want to. Not because of the message that came from it, but more because of the pain that we could see that our son was in. Yeah, that was, I'll just say something to that, is that um, that is what reached us the most, was we could tell, um, you know, he describes it as it kind of being crazy, and he kind of laughs about that, but it was a very serious voice recording and there was a great deal of pain in his voice. And that is not all, that is also not how we knew Kyle. Kyle was not somebody that had, you know, anxiety weigh on him or depression or somebody that didn't finish a task or complete anything. Like um, he was not, he used the word quitter. Like that was not Kyle. So we knew that this was very serious because he is not, you know, not completed something ever from, from whatever he, he was involved in ever growing up. He completed things and he did it well. And um, so this was out of our experience for, for him to have to feel that way. And in fact, we had just two days, two or three days before that, had another voice message from him on his mission and he was telling us of all these uh, great experiences with, and they were all people oriented, people he had met, people he had taught. Uh, one one guy named Junior that he uh, that he bargained for his tie. Junior wanted Kyle's tie, and uh, so he told told us stories like that. And so 
this really came out of the blue, just uh, from us feeling like he was doing well to, uh, and his Portuguese doing really well to then the voice message that he talked about. And I would just add, we're grateful that Kyle was patient with us because this was, he had been living this truth for a long time and this was brand new to us. And so we are always been grateful that he was, uh, he even said it as part of his thing is that uh, he knew that he was dumping a lot on us. And, you know, I'm not sure we, we reacted with love immediately. I'm grateful that we did that. Not, we didn't do everything right, but we definitely, you know, loved our son. That would never change. And then, you know, we've definitely learned more since then, you know, um, on how to support him and how to support people that are in this community. Well, let me, let me add something to that. Yes. The first response from any parent to coming out as gay is super critical. Like it can be really, really easy for a parent to respond with, okay, I hear you, but, or I hear you, but are you gonna, are you gonna live the standards? I hear you, but you're not gonna act on it, right? You know, and even if that is what they believe to be the best path, that's just gonna really put something just just dark and negative on on the on the on the person they're telling you this is a part of who I am not a choice that I made and you're and you're telling me to not to not be that basically and and so i think like for any parents li- like listening even if you even if you you know think that you know they someone needs to not follow a gay lifestyle saying that to your kid isn't isn't going to be isn't going to feel supportive to them, even if you mean it to be. And so I think, you know, just like we talk about patients, you need to be, as a parent, you need to be patient with the ideas you're pushing on them because you don't know how you're going to evolve. You don't know what you're going to learn about it. And so it just needs to start with, I hear you, I love you, and I want to support you. And let's, let's keep talking about it. And I, I want to let you know, it can't start with what your idea is of what they're saying. It can't start with, why you think that's wrong or, or immediately what you need to do about it. Yeah, that's really good. Do you have any questions about I, that? I just like you continuing to share your story. I, I could probably jump in, okay. but my impression is not to, and you have more <laughs> okay. to share that our listeners need to hear. Well, you know, I want to, because this is for people to learn from, uh, I want to say, you know, Phil had mentioned some of the good things we did, which was support, love him, support him. And also when, uh, you know, he had his mindset on coming home that we trust. Our experience with Kyle is that we have a great amount of trust in him and his uh, and choices he's made. Like we, he's lived his life with no reason for us to question any of those regarding uh, what he's the choices and paths he's gone in his life. So we, when he was insistent that it was necessary to be able to come home, one of the good things we did is we just, we trusted him to know what was best for him. Um, but in the very, very beginning, like I'm talking just hours into, into it, knowing we did do a couple things that probably weren't great. I look back on some of the emails that were, I wrote him immediately after the voicemail. And I think I, I said something like, um, encouraged him that, you know, because he was on a mission and that this was something that, you know, Satan didn't want him to like preach the gospel that he was, you know, using this, it's, but it's okay to be gay, but you can still stay on your mission. 
So for a period of time, and I'm just talking hours, we did push a narrative of, you know, it's okay to be gay, but stay on your mission. Um, again, yeah, we were kind of yeah. like, we'll deal with the gay later. Yeah. Just stay yeah. on your mission. Yeah. And that yeah. was not the right approach. Yes. And so we want to want to acknowledge that and recognize that hopefully people can learn from us because we do it differently now. Um, the other thing I would say were my first reactions and what I hope to help make change and, and help for parents is that when something like this happens, that you are that you're not so filled with shame. And uh, I did turn some of this inward. I mean, most of my concern was for Kyle, but I, I w- if I'm honest, I will say that I turned a lot, some of it inward. Like, what are people going to think of me as a mother? My, I don't have a son that comes home early. You know, that's not something our family does. That's certainly not something Kyle does. I mean, Kyle was, is, and still is well loved in our ward. Like he, this is the ward he grew up from, from an infant. And he has so many people that love him, young men leaders, bishops, um, people that he has, has, have seen him grow up. And so it's kind of like, I was, there is a great amount of shame, which, you know, I feel bad about saying, but, but that is the truth that there is a stigma attached to this. And that's something that I hope our culture can do to change that when it is necessary for somebody to come home or even necessary for somebody to not go on a mission, that there is not a shame attached to that. Um, Because that is what I felt. I almost felt, I remember saying to Phil like, okay, it's okay if he's gay, but does he have to come home? You know, why are, or people are going to think that he's coming home because he's being sent home because he's gay and that's not accurate. And so I had all of these personal things swirling around within me, even before he comes home. So just, he's still not, he's still in Africa at this point, but this is kind of all the stuff that was happening prior to him coming home. Uh, so I dealt with all those emotions kind of before he he got home in the next couple of weeks. And um, can I just throw yeah. something in here? Mm-hmm. So on this day that this was all happening, we reached out to our state president, who got involved with us right from the beginning, and he was he wonderful, wonderful man, and very supportive. And one of the things he said, you know, if there's ever if there's any leaders that ever listen to this podcast, one of the things that he said to us. That was so impactful to me. I'll, I'll, you know, probably never forget it. I had a great concern that we were taking a lot of his time because this was a Tuesday. This is the middle of a busy day, business day. He's a successful executive. So I know he works hard, worked long hours. And I, I said something to the effect, uh, President, we're taking a lot of your time today. I, I know you've got a busy job. And he says, uh, <laughs> He said, um, said, today the Broderick's, <laughs> I don't know why I can't talk. <laughs> today the Broderick's are my number one priority. And he gave us all the time that we needed to work through this for that day. So we appreciated that. These are great segments. All of these are great segments. Just you being so honest is so helpful for our listeners. I wish you could see their smiles, listeners, as as Kyle smiles as his parents speak, and um, Phil and Joni smile as Kyle speaks. This is a beauty, beautiful family love story. 
um, that is different than it was meant to be or thought to be when you're all growing up. But keep sharing. Yeah. You've got more to share. Johnny, yeah, Johnny, why don't you talk about that there were no resources available? Okay. Like we and felt I, like we were all alone in this yeah. when this when we learned about this. And I do so, love that stick president story, Phil. That is terrific. Um, I love that your priest leaders walking with you. Go ahead, Johnny. Yeah. So with that as the backdrop, um, even though there was love for us and love for Kyle and that concern for us. The stake president had to get involved because Kyle was coming home early. And so the mission president had to talk to the stake president. Kyle had to talk to the stake president. Like there's kind of a process that happens before you can get an official release. And so that's why he was, he had, uh, he was involved in that way. Um, and so the love that was expressed to us was wonderful and much appreciated. Um, because we're deer in the headlights at this point. Like, again, remember how we were raised and remember that this is like immediate, like catching us off guard. And so I will say that one thing that I feel like um, can be done better within our, our church culture and our gospel is to help leaders know how to help families that have LGBTQ uh, experiences. That is really important. And so even though there was love expressed, there were no resources for us. So where we were, were sitting there and it would have been nice to hear like, here is, um, here's another family you can talk to that has experienced this. They are well down the road. They can help you. We didn't have anything like that. Here's a website or here's a book or here's a podcast. Nothing. Um, or from- so, some of the resources center around asking the child to repress themselves, you know, mm-hmm. center around, you know, some different options are, are they can just still marry a woman. They can, they can stay celibate. They can, which, you know, you know, you might say it's not, you know, repressing who you are. You're just not acting on it, but that, but that is, you, you are, you know, repressing who you are. And so I think those can be like pretty hurtful, uh, you know, hurtful things to hear when you're, when you're coming out is, I'm coming out and the first thing they say is okay what if what if you don't act on it what if you don't you know I'm gay okay what if you like kind of pretend not to be you know it's like I to me those can be and those seem like the kind of main you know paths or resources for people who come out which I think um is hurtful which is which is a problem those those should never be the first you know options present or the only options presented to someone and I don't think we ever presented that to you no yeah yeah. But within the church. Yeah. So no, from uh, our, our stake leaders, from our uh, bishopric, there were, there was nothing for us. Like we really felt like we were alone in this. So that's where I start just, I, I'm, that's just kind of my nature is if there's a problem within our family or with a friend, like I, I just dig in and start reading, researching. Like I didn't even know we weren't even guided to the church website. Mormon and Mormon and gay. Like we didn't know that even existed. So I just, we felt alone. So that would be part of it. And then I just started delving into everything I could. Like, I think this bullet point I wrote down was like, so we have this new information about Kyle. Now what, now what do we do? And so what I chose to do was, um, 
was just start getting my hands on everything I could read. And one of the first things I read, uh, well, I found actually on the, the church website, there is a YouTube video called The Macintosh Family. And I saw this uh, wonderful family, seven kids. I think I showed that to you, Kyle. We had that time together, watch that. Um, but that video just alone gave me this sense of hope because I'm seeing another family that is like our family, although larger, but that's, that's a Mormon family and that has a gay son. They've been on this road at that point for about seven years. And to see this loving family and I'm, and that just knowing there's one, one other family that was experiencing this just filled me with hope. And so then I found out that she had a book. So I ordered her book. And I, uh, again, this was probably just only a couple of weeks after Kyle came out. And I remember laying in, I could, I think I read through that power, read through that book in like one or two days, I would lay there in bed and just highlight page after page. And I tap Phil on the shoulder, read this, read this. This is how I feel as a mother. Like that book really spoke to me as a mother. So we should mention the name. It was Love Love Boldly by uh, Mm -hmm. Becky McIntosh. And which I know you've had her on your podcast. And, and yeah, that book spoke to me because it was from the perspective of a, of a mother. And that's what I could relate to because I have this tremendous love for my son. And so everything she was writing about spoke to me. And that became the probably the first foundation um, was just to keep this love for my son and not change him. like not change him at all. Like I started to have this desire and he doesn't need to change. He is, he is perfect just the way he is. I just love him. And so, um, but I still didn't know in the space of the church or the gospel, how this fit fit. So I just kept reading. Um, I stumbled across your podcast and I would spend many walks, um, walking and listening to podcasts and sending it to Phil and he would listen to it. And we talk about it at night. That was the very beginnings of our learning, was hearing other people's experiences and stories. And that started to really resonate with us, like really realizing like we are not alone in this. We are not alone in this. And not only are we not alone, but this is going to be okay. Like this, this isn't something to be afraid of or worried about or ashamed of. And um that was just kind of the beginning of it. Yeah. Do you want to say anything? Well, I guess I would say, you know, one of the themes of President Nelson's uh, ever since he's been the prophet has been to seek personal revelation. And we, uh, you know, Joni and I support President Nelson as the, as the prophet. And, uh, and we had to seek personal revelation. And Joni had some very spiritual experiences. I've had my own spiritual experiences. And one of the quotes in Becky McIntosh's book was that I, she kind of just said, I don't know what to do with all this, but I'm just going to leave it at Jesus' feet. That quote always stayed with me, leave it at Jesus' feet. And so that we, through our own prayers, through our own personal revelation, we don't claim to know the answers and how everything's going to work out eternally, but we've both received personal revelation and personal comfort that God knows Kyle, God loves Kyle, and that we we should just love Kyle and accept him for who he is and not try to change and that everything will be okay. 
And so we just put our hope and our confidence in that personal revelation that we've received. We have a testimony of that and, and we've received that revelation and we're comfortable with it. And we don't know how everything's going to work out, but we feel like we've received personal assurances from our Heavenly Father that things will work out and that our job is just to love Kyle and not try to change him or not try to force him down a path that's not good for him. So that would lead us to the experiences that uh, were in our Lift and Love story, the me flying out to a North Star conference and uh, the BYU experience. But before we go into that, did you have any questions up to, to now? Um, just, I think our listeners are really appreciative of your story and it's very helpful. So keep sharing it. Okay. So, um, after Kyle came home from his mission, you know, we're still probably grappling with this, but learning a lot through podcasts and whatnot. And, um, in my mind, I'm expecting like, okay, well, he's coming home like mid October and it's, he's already missed the BYU semester. So we'll probably have him home from like just October to January till he goes back out to BYU. But no, this boy <laughs> just like wants to hit the ground running and, and he's not even home two weeks, like probably within three days of him being home. He's like, I need to go back to BYU. And I'm like, well, you know, sorry, but like it's our, the semester's already started. They're not expecting you now. I'll get late entry. I'll just do a couple of classes, but I'm going back there. Like, wow. so so again, when Kyle, he's has full of confidence, he knows what he wants. He goes after it very ambitious. And so he was only home like two weeks, two or three tops before he was going to go flip back out to Utah to go to school. So he, we, he would be going basically from Mozambique and then within three weeks back to, to Provo. And so I, I just felt like I just didn't have enough time with him. Like, I'm just, I still want to like, learn. And one of the best places I can learn is from my own son. And, but he's like ready to, to hit the ground running and, and go back, not wanting to waste any more time. So I at least said, then let me come with you. Let me go fly back to Provo with you, you know, help you find an apartment and get, you know, settled, settled in there. Let me just come spend some more time with you. And uh, so, you know, he, he was fine with that. So we went out there to, together and. Um, and that's, uh, I actually uh, reached out to Becky McIntosh and she was kind enough. We had lunch together Good. and um, she was kind of the first person that I was able to like face-to-face -face talk with. And that was very helpful. And I also went to um, a parent of parent support group that she had at her house. Um, and I remember when I like introduced myself, like, you know, kind of like a AA meeting or something <laughs> like, hi, I'm Joni Broderick. And I my son's gay <laughs> and they were all so supportive in their, in their, uh, like, how long have you been in this space? Three weeks. <laughs> and I was just, uh, I still was, it was very raw and very, um, very, you know, it's just still really fresh. Yeah. Tell, but, tell your experience about, uh, okay. So, um, so after Christmas, uh, I had, had been reading a lot, had really gotten educated and I'd also found North star and I was, was just, it was just a passion to me. I want to go to this conference that's coming up in March. This would be March of 2019. And so I bought a ticket to the conference, bought a plane ticket, and I was coming out in March. And so uh, we all know what was happening. Like, 
late middle of the late March is when COVID and everything shut down. So not knowing any of that is on the horizon. Uh, I'm at this time just flew into Salt Lake and um, was the first thing on the agenda for North Star on a Thursday was to uh, people who wanted to could go to a temple session just to kind of kick off the conference, the right spirit and whatnot. And so I'm there for all of it. So I plan on doing that, got dressed, ready to head to this opening temple. And that's when Kyle uh, called me. I hadn't even seen him yet. I had just flown in from Dulles Airport to Salt Lake. And he called me and he said, he said, mom, there's, there's going to be a rally here at BYU because the honor codes change. And I'm like, what? Like what's happened? And he kind of described it to me. And he said, a lot of people are down here and there's, they've got signs and we're just going to just be come together basically to kind of support one another with some really devastating news that was hard for a lot of these students. And I said, okay. okay. And I said, what can I do to help? And he said, well, you can come down if you'd like. And uh, I said, and so that's where I'm like, for just a brief moment, I'm like, I'm supposed to be driving to the temple for this session. But my son's calling and saying that this is happening. This was important to him. And so I said, okay, I'm on my way. And so I just beelined for Provo and uh, going there to support him with whatever it was going to be. I had never been to a rally before. and um, nor probably been around a whole bunch of uh, gay or transgender or or uh, LGBTQ students it's in this large of a format. But I was going because that's where my son was. And so this was March. So I hadn't seen him since uh, he had been home for Christmas. And then probably January 1 flew out back to BYU. So not only uh, was I coming for that, but I hadn't seen him for three months from January to March. So I was really looking forward to seeing him. And so uh, driving there, I stopped at a Walgreens. I bought some poster board and some markers and then lifted up the hatch of my rental car. And I wrote out uh, uh, free mom hugs on one side. And then I think the other side said, we need to, I used your words, Richard. We need to listen, learn, and love uh, our BYU students, something like that. And, um, and so that's, I just did that in the back of my car. And then I parked and I started just walking towards where he said he was. And, um, there were a lot of students there, a lot of them. And, uh, it was kind of hard to hear some of, some of the of students that were not LGBTQ were shouting things like, just go home, you know, transfer to another school, like saying things that were very hurtful. I could hear all that. Then I could also see a lot of other students that were um, just quietly being together with either the uh, pride flag or uh, handing out bracelets or just there supporting one another. It was, it was very wonderful. But I was looking for Kyle. Like I said, I hadn't seen him. So I was excited to see him. And, um, and so I'm kind of walking through this crowd of students. And then he sees me and comes kind of running to me. And I have this sign in one hand. And then he gives me a big hug. That's the picture that was taken by some photographer that was then put on uh, in the newspaper. Um, but that, so that was a great experience just to be there and see him and embrace him with this hug. So I was really glad to see him. And I kind of forgot I had the sign that said free mom hugs, but I was hugging Kyle 
And uh, another student, probably not knowing that this was my son, just seeing that I was hugging him. Um, so it was he, the student was behind Kyle and I was hugging him. And so Kyle couldn't see him, but I could. And it was a really tall, uh, I know now, a transgender student. And I had never known or been around anyone that was transgender before. So this was extremely out of my comfort zone. But they were so patient. And so um, they were just standing there very you know, respectfully waiting their turn, waiting their turn for a hug. And so after, after Kyle and I finished uh, our embrace, I just looked at this student and I said, do you need a hug? And they just quietly like nodded their head and said, yes. And um, I was not crying at the time. <laughs> I had a big smile on my face. I opened both of my arms. And uh, this person was probably 6'2", very tall. I'm only 5'2". So um, just opened my arms and embraced this individual. And like I said, I had... This was extremely out of my comfort zone, but it instantly, instantly was completely comfortable. I was just enveloped with this love for this person that I didn't even know. I didn't even know them, but I was filled with this love for them. And it wasn't me. It was the love of the Savior for this person. And I was just being the vehicle for it. And it was one of the most transformative experiences that I've had. Um, and that was probably, that would gave me another layer, another base of the changing of my heart, the changing of, of my experience and advocacy um, around this issue was the, that day at that rally. Um, yeah. I think an important theme for my parents' experience is just learning from everywhere from lots of resources. You know, at BYU, if, if I were to turn in a project and cite one resource for the whole project, I'd, I'd get a failing grade. Like, you know, you can't, you can't just look at one place for all the answers. And, you know, so they're reading books, they're listening to podcasts. And I think one of the most important things is just listening to LGBTQ people. Like, you know, she said that the experience of just seeing all those people at BYU was, you know, a huge moment for her. If if we keep using the same same resources, you know, we're gonna have one answer and one solution. And every human, every individual has a multitude of paths they can choose, of, of so many different ways that their life can go. And if your mind is set on one path, you know, chances are you guys might have some dissonance there. And chances are you're not gonna have a good, well-rounded idea of what the options are for a person. And so, you know whether you agree or think it's a weird, you know, resource or whatever, just, just listen, you know, learn, you know, oh, your podcast, listen and learn to from lots of different places and people and resources, and then find out what's going to work best for you and your family. That story of, of you planning on going to the temple. I love the temple. I think of the temple points us to Christ, but also points us to our family. And our family on this side of the veil and the other side of the veil. So I love, to me, the temple pointed you to your son at BYU that day. And you were honoring your temple covenants by being with your son. 
and doing yeah. what you did, and it would be more comfortable to go to the temple. You knew that world. Um, it's and it's but to be there with Kyle. What did did you know she was coming? Maybe you did, and I think you did. But what will talk about when you first saw your mom and those signs and just to share that experience with us to have your parent there with you. Yeah, she had she had called me and and she was kind of just like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Oh, there's actually a huge protest going on right now." And um, it actually wasn't. She said it was my idea. It wasn't my idea. It was her idea. She said, um, "She said, oh, okay, should I come?" And I was like, "Come to to be where you like to come to the protest." And she she was like, "She's like, yeah, I can get I can get signs, I can get uh, pins, I can get whatever, whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Did I that come. surprise and then, you? Did she? It, it did surprise me. But like she said, it was it was uncomfortable for, and there also weren't any parents there. There weren't any, <laughs> you know, really any adults. Cer- certainly, like the um, staff wasn't there, but I couldn't be there. Um, and so it's a, a bunch of kids, a bunch of college students, and then my mom <laughs> standing there. And I think that's just that's just so important. That's just you know, for a, a different generation, a, a different age group to show like people have people have your back there you know it's not just the younger generation that um that you know is going to fight for these rights people are going to have your back you know if if they're just willing to like listen and that's all my mom was doing was she was just listening um yeah and so i i think it was huge and it it was important and i think especially people seeing that it's possible for an lds parent to be supportive and also be you know lds like you don't have to choose one or the other um, so yeah, I, I think it was really important, uh, in, th- in that sense. I was actually surprised at how, like what I was doing was simple, was just like literally just being there and hugging kids. Like to me, that's the easiest thing in the world. I love these kids. I love youth anyway. Um, but I think I was really surprised at, uh, at things that were tweeted or that were texted you or that were the response back from seeing a parent there was probably more than I anticipated. So, yeah. The, so the, the next thing that this was one day, the next day I was able just on a free day, not knowing that COVID still was getting more serious and the temp, all the temples were going to be closed down. I did not know that was happening. I did go to the time. I went to the Provo temple with my mother-in-law who has now since passed away. But so I did go to the temple with her and I had one of the main reasons I went that day was the whole spirit. So I'd been going to the, I had been reading everything. I can't, I, any book that on LGBTQ in the LDS space I have read and had listened to hundreds of your podcasts. I had also been to two days of North Star at this point and had the experience on the BYU campus. And then I'm able to go to the temple just on my own with my mother-in-law. So I was just filled. I was on fire with information, with knowledge, with wanting to get my own personal answers because I know I could. I knew I could. That was something that had been promised if we get our own personal revelation. And so I thought, then I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get mine. And so I went to the temple with wanting answers about just, are we okay? Are we okay as a family? Is my family going to be, you know, lost now in the eternities? Are we not going to be together? Um, are we not going to be with this wonderful son that we have? Like, it is not heaven to me if he's not there. 
So I went with all these questions and like, you know, and is Kyle, what about Kyle? Is he going to be okay? All these things I went to the temple with. And in short, I will just say that I got answers to all of them. And very deeply, like I have never had an experience like this in the temple or, or since that was this profound and deep. But I was taught that entire session. I was taught and guided and heard the voice of the Lord to me personally. And in a nutshell, what I was told was, you are completely fine and your family is fine. I love you. I love your entire family. I love Kyle. I know he's gay. He's my son. I created him that way. I created him that way. And when I heard those things, and that I'm not to worry about him anymore, that there is a plan for Kyle. God has a plan for Kyle. And I truly believe that. He is not, he is just not some lost person out there. And um, so I got these answers that were very real. And I walked out of that temple completely fine. It does not matter what is thrown at me from other people, from from the church, from prophets, from things that might be difficult to hear, um, or that Kyle's on the wrong path, or that he's sinning, or that things are all going to be lost. Like It didn't matter what was going to come to me, because I had just gotten my own answer straight from God. And so I didn't need to have a middleman. I knew. And I, so I, from that day forward, I have been completely fine with my job is just to love Kyle. And I do. I love him. I trust him. I will support him with whatever his path and journey looks like. And that is what my role as a mother, what our role is as a parents is just to love and let them know that they are loved and they're, they're perfect and they're, they're perfectly created just the way God intended. And uh, I have come to really feel that these wonderful kids that are created LGBTQ are for us, for us to learn, to grow, to love, to become more like the Savior. I am sad to say that as a, you know, at the time, how old was I at the time? Probably 54 at the time. Um, it's taken that many years of my life to learn this lesson. And I may not learn this lesson if I didn't have Kyle, if I didn't have Kyle as my son. And uh, I'm really grateful for people like you, Richard, and like and many others who are willing to be in this space and be an advocate and ally without having, you know, quote, skin in the game, without having without having to kind of be pushed up against a wall like we were. Um, I, and because of that, I'm very grateful for Kyle because of this experience. It has made me a better person, a better parent. It's brought me closer to my savior. It's uh, increased my own uh, testimony of personal revelation because I have this personal experience of getting answers for myself that I can't deny. I, I call it kind of my own personal Joseph Smith experience. I knew it. I know God knows it. And I can't deny it. Really powerful segments. Some of the finest segments we've ever done on this podcast. 
fill any things that are in your mind right now. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's got me all choked up. So, <laughs> um, so it's been very helpful to us to learn more, you know, about what's happening and, and to hear quotes from, from some of our prophets and apostles. And this is a quote that's been read on your podcast many times, but I'll read it again from M. Russell Ballard. We need to listen to and understand what our LGBT um, brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly, we must do better than we've done in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord. So when when I became aware of that quote, that was very helpful for me because it was kind of freeing a little bit. It's like, okay, I can listen. I can investigate. I can try to learn about these these people. I almost felt a little bit of guilt, you, you know, but but be, it was helpful to me to feel like I could, uh, you know, really pursue and learn about this. And as I've mentioned earlier, you know, listening to so many stories um, really helped me. And I, our state president, about four months later, asked us to to meet with him and to write down kind of what we had learned over the previous four months. And one of the things, and I'm just going to read what I wrote, maybe chat about it for a second. That's not too long. Um, I wrote, while while every LDS LGBTQ story is unique and personal, there are several consistent themes. Most seem to realize that they are attracted to the same gender early in their life. One thing they strongly believe is that this must be kept a secret. As they get older, they feel shame. They live in fear that their secret will be somehow found out. They feel that they will be rejected by family, friends, peers, the church, etc. They feel that God must hate them. Depression is common. Many try to bargain with, um, with God that if they'll do certain things like pray hard, study the scriptures, go to seminary, go on a mission, etc., that God will take this away from them. When they return home and they are still gay, this can be a crisis. In Kyle's case, this crisis happened four months into his mission. And then I say, somehow we as a church need to help our LGBTQ members not feel shame, fear, depression, lack of belonging, etc. If they could come out earlier and know that they would be accepted and loved, their young lives would be so much better. We as a church, as ward members or as leaders, none of us have ever received helpful guidance or been educated or received any training on how we can better minister to our LGBTQ members. Listening to other people's experiences and learning from them is one way we can do better. And, and so I, I would just have a couple of comments on that. One, Joni and I both wish that we had been better parents and that we had been more open to, on this topic so that Kyle would have felt comfortable coming to us and talking to us when he was 14 years old or 15 years old. Uh, but that didn't happen. And, and we didn't know any better, you know, to do that. Um, I always kind of think, wouldn't Kyle's experience, and when I say, and when I talk about Kyle, I talk about all LGBTQ youth in the church, and there's a lot of them. Wouldn't their experience be better if young men presidents, young women presidents knew what their, that they were bishops, gay, bishops. if bishops and, and other leaders knew this? and their parents knew it, then wouldn't loving leaders and loving bishops and loving parents be able to kind of help their children and guide them and help them not feel shame, 
help them know that God loves them just the way that they are? Wouldn't that be better? And and so how can that happen? And, and I don't know exactly how things that you're doing can make that happen, but it seems to me like, gee, I wish wards would somehow talk about this once in a while um, with their youth, with their adults, so that if there's a 14-year-old out there that's struggling with this and feeling great shame and great guilt and great and has questions about what their life is going to be like, they would say, wait, you know, I've got leaders that talk about this topic. Maybe I can go talk to one of them. Uh, maybe I can talk to my parents. Right now, that doesn't happen. It didn't happen in our case. And so I would hope for a church and a community that would be better at helping these young kids, you know, feel love and not feel shame for who they are. Well, that's a great I think segment. Part of, they talked about growing up and, and learning things that, you know, just about everyone learns later to not be true. Like gay people are evil. They're choosing this, this um, lifestyle. Part of learning things that are untrue is unlearning them. You have to actively unlearn something. You can't just, you know, secretly, uh, you know, have an organization secretly change their mind about it and then hope people pick up on it. You have to teach to unlearn something, you know, or else people are just going to continue to live with these ideas because we don't openly, we just don't want to talk about it. It's just, you know, it's scary. It's different. People don't really have answers for it. And I think you don't have to have the answers, but you have to be willing to talk about it because the answer is never to just ignore it, act like it doesn't exist. You have to unlearn bad ideas and you have to just be willing to have conversations or else you're just not going to get anywhere. And people are going to come out in their twenties and thirties and just, you know, miss out on, on a lifetime of experiences. I, I think that some stakes and wards are better than others on this topic. I, I do feel like sometimes the church wants to just sweep this in, issue under the rug and not deal with it. Yeah. And I don't think that's healthy. Um, it's yeah. out there. It's not going away. And I just would hope that this church would do a better job of dealing with this issue and this topic and helping families be more prepared for when they have their Kyle, you know, moment or, you know, or, you know, there's lots of them out there. Every word, yeah. th there's lots of them out there. And if people would understand that and then really love those kids, then it would be better to address the topic and not continue to ignore it. I agree with that, Bill. I think um, a guest that was on a podcast that may be the one right before you reminded me that a survey at BYU said indicated that 13% of all BYU students that took the survey, a pretty broad survey, identified as something other than straight. So that's, you know, that's a, if you think about that in our young men's, young women's, um, ward stakes that 13% um, identify as something other than straight, then you're exactly right, Bill. Um, we're recording this, listeners, on a Sunday, and, and I like that because Sundays on afternoons, I just feel like longer podcasts work for me, and I want to stay engaged longer. And um, So I'm going to keep this going because I just sense our listeners that this is really helpful for. I have a question for you, Kyle. Um, I have a couple observations I'll get to, but you know, I think it's pretty clear to our listeners that your parents are in the church and you're not. Um, do you want your parents to leave with you? And if not, why? Um, no, I just like they want me to do 
what is going to make me the happiest. I want them to do what's going to make them the happiest. Just like they want me to make choices that are good for me as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. I want them to do the same. Um, I, of course, don't want anyone to engage in anything that's going to oppress or, you know, hurt somebody by, you know, things that they're engaging in. But I think their time is better spent working internally in the church to make it a better place for LGBTQ people. Because I don't think the answer is, um, you know, just getting everyone out of there. And then, and then, you know, then you have just less, less voices for, you know, people like me or, or youth that need to hear it from, you know, what I've heard from my mom is she's, she's a voice and she's someone to listen to within the church and people it's actually crazy the thing she tells me people are coming out to her people are opening up to her at at a young age and i i just think i i had no one like that like i'm i had i had you know nobody that would would have made me feel safe to um do that and so i think that the fact that they can be there and they can be a voice and just someone to listen and show that you know, we can be a happy family. We're happy. We're good. We haven't gone off a bad path or whatever. And we love and accept our gay son that's out of the church. Um, like I said, there's so many paths for so many different people. And so, you know, just because I left the church, I don't expect everyone in my life to follow one, one path. There are lots of paths within the church. There are lots of paths without the church. And as long as, you know, no one's doing anything to make anyone's life worse or make anyone or oppress anyone, then I, I'm happy that for anyone to be in any space and be a voice and, and be someone that is safe to, you know, be there for, for LGBTQ youth. A lot of grace in that answer, um, Kyle. And I just recognize the, where you are to give that grace back because you've given a lot to this church and you've tried to make it work. And you bravely stepped up playing to Mozambique with hope that somehow this would work out. It didn't. And to recognize there's not a place for you, and your best path forward is the path you've chosen to then extend the grace back to your parents and other people is an insight to your character. Thank you. So I'm at, thank you. And just some thoughts, you know, about Kyle. You've, um, I don't know, you're very at peace with who you are and your direction. And you're not 40 or 50 or 60 figuring this out. You're how old are you right now? I'm 22. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I invite everybody to stay in the church, but I recognize if someone feels their best path forward is not, you know, I think you're doing a good job of that. And I think you've had clarity on just what is your path. And you seem very at peace with that. And I think that makes your rest of your life possible. And perhaps some of the pain and the shame and the self-loathing and trying to make this work, you don't have the decade or two of dealing with that. Now, that's just my feeling. I, so I think you're in a good spot. I, and I think you have a great life ahead of you. And and I just recognized all that you did to make it work. And I also, as I think our listeners would let you know that you're bright, you're articulate, you're good. As your mom described you, as a mom describes sons, my wife can describe our kids in vocabulary. I can never describe our kids. There's something about a mom-kid um, connection that's pretty tender, but 
is an incredible tribute to who you are from the mom and your dad who's here with you on this podcast. We do a few of these podcasts with moms. Um, dads are a little shyer, but here's your dad on the podcast with you. And I, so I, I think this is a credit to you and figuring this out and giving grace to others that have chosen to walk different paths. I think it's an incredible sign of maturity. Um, that's an insight into your character. I love your visit to the temple, Joni, um, when you finally, it was the right time to go. And I thought about the revelation you got, and the thought came to my mind, would that revelation have been possible without all the work you did? I love this principle we teach in the church, better information leads to better inspiration. And I've wondered, because of all the work you did and the opening of your heart and getting all the information then going to the temple and asking at that point for very direct answers on how to do this, that they came. They may have came day one, <laughs> um, but they might not have. So I, I just invite, that's a principle I think for all of us listeners, is if we're trying to figure something out, I like what the Brodericks decided to do. They were going to learn everything they could about this space and how to support Kyle. And they seemed to do that as soon as they got that message. And uh, and that, to me, is a beautiful family love story. So I love that part of your, your story and how instructive that is and helpful for other parents. And I love where you are at peace. Wow. And that's why the Macintosh story is very helpful to me as I became an ally. I love their story. And we'll link to that, listeners, in the show notes. There's two things we're going to link in the show notes. The Your Lifted Love Story and Lifted Love is doing such great work and the Love Boldly book. Um, just so any listeners that want to read that, it's a terrific book. Um, but, you know, I, Kyle, I'm going to come ask, you, you were on a plane ride from Mozambique <laughs> announcing you were gay and coming home from your mission. Did you ever think some of the things that would happen would happen, that you'd have your mom show up BYU with um, posters? You'd have your parents on this podcast talking about loving their gay son. Talk about maybe how how this has worked out for you and maybe the surprises i'm putting vocabulary in you just it's a pretty tough spot it's a long plane ride home from mozambique to dulles i don't think that's a non-stop flight and i don't think it's three hours so no. um you're in a really tough spot and you're wondering how your parents can respond what your future's like and let's talk about how this feels to you right now yeah, well, I think I took enough melatonin that I was knocked out for most of it. <laughs> but I, I did think a lot in in Mozambique because there was a period of weeks where yeah. I, I just wasn't wasn't teaching and just wait, basically waiting to hear when my flight was going to be. And you know, from their response to my voice message, I knew that it, it wasn't going to be a case of you know you're kicked out, we disown you. It wasn't going to be anything like that. I knew they they still loved me. I knew everything was going to be okay. I knew it wasn't going to be like those worst case scenarios that everyone everyone thinks about. Um, I didn't know that, you know, especially my mom would dive so much into it. Like it wasn't, she wasn't just doing this like for me. She wanted to help others and she wanted to share her experience. Um, and that was just, you know, best case scenario. Like I, I can't think of any other, any better outcome. It's easy to, um, it's easy to love your kid. But it's not always easy to, you know, take the experience that you've learned from them, even though it's different from what you thought would be the right experience growing up, and just 
double down on that and just be like, this is what I've learned. I know this to be true. I know that people still struggle with this. And I know that there are a lot of families approaching this in much worse ways and a lot of outcomes that are a lot worse than mine. And so, you know, the fact that both of my parents can be a voice and be helpful in, in that, in that world is, is huge. Like it's, it's really important. And, you know, like, like my mom, she said, you know, it's a blessing that, you know, I came out and she could learn from me. I think, you know, it's, it's changed all of our lives and it's, you know, give us a different perspective on, on everything. You know, we know that there's not one path for any person to take. And, you know, the fact that they can be there for people to, you know, present what a good outcome can be and show that it can happen is, is really important. So I wasn't expecting it, but, you know, I'm really grateful for it. More thoughts from anybody. Bill, do you have a comment? Oh. Yeah, I have a comment. Um, while we're talking about family, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention Kyle's three older sisters yeah. who are also on this path with us. Yeah, and good point. Every one of them from moment one accepted Kyle, loved Kyle. There was never judgment. There was never any condemnation. It was all about learning and uh, understanding. And But it, there was never a question about you know, oh, gee, our, our brother is gay. We need to change him. It was never that. It was always that that he was loved and just the way he was. And so I think his sisters deserve a lot of credit. Uh, the whole, you know, the whole family has been supportive. And, you know, maybe part of it is because Kyle's our entertainer and he keeps <laughs> us all laughing and he keeps us. It's always funner when when the full when the whole family's together, Kyle's always the life of the party and gets us laughing. and. We have a good time. So uh, everybody uh, loves Kyle. Like he's not only, you know, there's stigmas about the, you know, the last child. He is the last child. So he's there, that type of favorite uh, that siblings always joke about. But he's also the only son. And so there's a lot of, uh, he already came into this family with a lot of favorites, you know, behind him. So he is very loved within our whole family, his sisters, all of us, and anyone that comes in contact with him, everyone loves Kyle. His, I can't tell you how many young men leaders, uh, neighbors, everyone uh, just love Kyle for who he is. And um, I feel like that fact alone is um, because of who Kyle is and how he's lived his life. When he did come out and it was, uh, made known to other people that began the very beginnings of helping to change people's hearts because they knew Kyle prior. Oh. And because of the good person he was then, he is still that same person. They just have some additional information about him that they didn't know before. And that information might look different than what they were taught in the church. And so, because they knew Kyle, like in our congregation or from being a neighbor, on our street, that in and of itself was enough for them to start. Well, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something I can learn about that is different than what I knew before, that is different than what I was taught before. Um, and so that speaks a lot to Kyle that he's helping to change people just by who he is, just by the person that he is. And there are lots of lots of little blessings that come out of it, like 
just little things like hearing hearing my nieces just understanding that Kyle can have a boyfriend. Like Kyle can be with a boy. You know, it's not just boys are with girls, girls are with boys. You know, there are lots of different, you know, just things that they can learn at a young age. And, you know, not to say that, you know, we're necessarily teaching them anything. We're just, this is the world. This is just, this is the world. This is the reality. Um, And, you know, they were talking about the family. Like I am, I'm really grateful for the way that the family approached, you know, they could have been like, okay, like we accept you, but you know, don't do that around my kids. Don't, don't be like that, you know, but everyone was just so accepting and loving and it, you know, brought everyone closer together. And, you know, I think just learning more, learning about different experiences for anyone is, you know, helps everyone grow and and just learn more about the world and, you know, what's out there. I think about shame. Phil's talked about that. And I got a couple emails this week just from people that are aware of gay men in their fifties and forties and sixties that have had really difficult lives and the shame and the self-loathing that needs to be numbed for some people in ways that aren't helpful long-term like drugs and alcohol. And um, they've had really hard lives. And the, the root of that is not alcohol um, or drugs, which with the shame that creates from um, not being straight and not having and feeling terrible about yourself. And it's logical to feel that way because the things that are said, um, but I do see improvement when I hear your dad talking about shame and how we're, we need to take that out of these youth and they need to deal that to me, isn't a change in church doctrine, but just teaching, you know, that everybody's loved and you can have a relationship with God. You seem to have done a really good job, Kyle, of staying off the shame road. I don't sense, even when you're describing growing up, your parents describing you, I think it's a credit to you that you you were dealing with this and you're aware of it, but you didn't seem to think that, you know, I don't know how you did that, but you're in a really good spot now. You seem to be off the shame and self-loathing road and very accepting of who you are. Listeners, my guests call that internalized homophobia, uh, which I don't think is born. <laughs> I think it's learned. and. Um, so it's a credit to you that you've kind of got that out of you if you had any of that and and have been able to move forward in a really healthy way. And I recognize we are making progress as a society and as parents and as a church to help people feel that the way they're created is not broken um, and that they should feel good about how they're created. And any thoughts on that, anybody, Kyle, or anybody on that? It's just, I think that's part of your story without directly saying it. That's helpful for everybody. Yeah, like I said earlier, it's it's to me it's all about not letting anyone tell you what happiness is going to be for you or what is going to bring you happiness. How can anyone how can anyone say that if you do if you do this one thing that's going to bring happiness for you because they don't know they don't know you and they don't know what's going to work for your life. And so, you know, like I said when I came off my mission, you know, it, it could have it could have easily been, you know, shame of leaving the mission, shame of okay, everyone knows I'm gay now and I feel bad about it. I'm never going to be a, a, I feel like I'm never going to be a good member of the church. I've left, I've left my mission, but I just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I, I just felt I'm, I'm going to choose my own path. And I'm, and you know, that was, it just, it just switched. Everything just switched. Like I, I can be happy by just being who I am, just being who I am. Like 
we have instincts of, of what, what we need to do. And what I needed to do was live an openly gay lifestyle, just, just as anyone else would just, I would just be myself. I would love who I would want to love. And I wasn't going to let anyone, you know, tell me that I had to, you know, repress anything or, or act like I was act like anyone but myself, you know? And so once I, once I made that switch in my mind, it was just, you know, all that shame goes away and it's just, I'm just living as myself and that's all I can do. And you seem very at peace with that. So I think the odds that you then turn to destructive behaviors because you're dealing with so much shame is pretty unlikely and very likely that you're going to have a wonderful life um, in all areas. And I think that's a good thing. And I think your contribution yeah. society and your family um, to be where you are right now is a good thing. So, I think, yeah, I had, I let, I let certain ideas and let, you know, how I was raised dictate so many things about myself. And, you know, I could, I could have easily left the church and then just held resentment and just, you know, go on and on and on about all these bad things. And just, but at that, at that point, are they not still controlling how I feel? They're still controlling me in that way. So I, you know, I don't want anyone to, I don't want anything to have a control over, you know, what my happiness is going to be. I felt like it had control over my happiness for the first 19 years of my life. And if I was just going to hold on to resentment and just constantly think about all these, I'm just, just, I'm just going to let it go. I'm, I'm not going to let them control me anymore. And so that, that was, I think that's what the switch was. I just taking control of my own life. More thoughts that anybody has. We're kind of coming to the end, but. I'll just offer a couple of quick thoughts. There's a couple of fundamental truths. Um, one, uh, Kyle and other people who are in this community did not choose that. Right. That, that was not a choice somehow made during their lifetime, that that's the way they were born. That's the way they were created. And, and it, the other fundamental truth is that y- y- you don't change like y- you can't, uh, they, you know, you, you don't change from being gay to all of a sudden being straight. And, you know, I think the Lord prepared me a little bit for having a gay son years ago before I knew Kyle was gay. I remember having a conversation with somebody and I quoted to them Elder Holland's comment. And you've had this guy on your podcast, but Elder Holland said something to the effect that, you know, after he came from home from his mission, he wasn't magically going to become straight. He was gay and he was going to stay straight. And he was gay and he was going to stay gay. Thank you. And that had an impact on me. And before I knew I had a gay son, I remember having a conversation with somebody and kind of making that point. And now I look back on it and say, well, this is a little bit of a tender mercy, the way that the Lord was preparing me for that I would have a gay son. And I didn't even know it yet. So I love that. I do feel like uh, I was prepared a little bit. I love that. Any more thoughts anybody would like to share? I'm good. Are you good, Joni? Uh, I think. Uh, one of the things that we just like to to leave with is just we hope to be helpful in this space um, to offer uh, to leaders, to bishops, to to encourage them to seek out resources and help and listen to other voices and have this become a more normal part of your church and ward family and culture because 
we promise you there are LGBTQ people, wonderful people in every single ward out there. Um, and you just may not know it yet as a leader. But if you can leave your ward, teach your classes um, with that in mind that you are speaking and teaching to wonderful souls out there that are in this space and that have these feelings, just like Kyle did. I like when Kyle was just saying, like, I knew growing up and, and uh, hearing lessons at church, like this just didn't fit me. And I realized, I think, what were your words? You said something like, I realized that my life probably just wasn't going to be that great. That's how he felt as a young youth with the way that things are taught and that lessons are perceived uh, by these kids. So my hope is that we can do better in this space and that we can not pigeonhole people into one way, but the, the, our overarching umbrella of that God loves his children and he created all of us and we're all different. And there is a path and, and a plan for all of God's children and they do not all look the same. These, this, there's not just one way, one path back to our Heavenly Father. He has too many children out there that are diverse and wonderful and different and unique, and he has plans for all of them. And that's one thing that I really hope to, um, to get more of a message out, and to help leaders, to help other families so that when they do find out if they ever, that if they have an LGBTQ child, that their experience wasn't won't, won't be like mine, which is that spending a couple of days under the covers, crying in you know fear, a lot of fear for what life will hold for us, for Kyle, and shame. Those were the two um, probably biggest emotions that I had in the very beginning, and those feelings from then the temple experience that I shared earlier. That was only a six-month period. Wow. Um, and for my heart to get changed in that period of time to where I had feelings of fear and shame to feelings of now, this is your greatest blessing in life because it has taught you. It has changed your heart. Um, when I left the temple that day, I truly felt like the Lord had taken out my heart and given me a new one. And it was larger and bigger and better than I had ever had before. And from that time, I've experienced just this great passion and love for all of these kids. And, um, and I hope to continue to be able to do that in some form or fashion. If people, Always. <laughs> if people want to contact you, how would they do that, Joni? And, oh, or, um, and or Phil. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So we'll tag. Yeah. I'll tag. I'll post this on Facebook, listeners, sure. and Instagram, and I'll tag Joni so that you can message her. Um, you know, I'm reading this quote a lot, but maybe I'll just read it. Um, at the end of this podcast. Um, you know, I, it's Apollo 13 for those of you that are regular listeners, and Apollo 13 is sort of in this worst case scenario the the you know the astronauts are alive but it's just this critical situation and i sort of think that's where your family was kyle when you sent that message 
you know, no one had died, but this was like, I'm gay and I'm coming on my mission. And it's sort of like Apollo 13 is not going to make the moon. I'm reading more into this than I usually do. This is Apollo 13. We're just trying to get Apollo 13 back to Earth alive. Um, we've scrapped the moon. But then Gene Kratz stepped forward when everybody's so negative, and he says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And I think this has been an incredibly fine hour in a very difficult situation. And it's a beautiful family love story, and it's not perfect, and your parents weren't perfect right at the beginning, and perhaps you would regret some things, Kyle, but I think it's a beautiful family love story. Now, for all three of you to be on my Zoom screen, and I've just seen the interaction between you and the smiles and the support. This isn't fake, listeners. You know that from feeling this. This is real. This is a beautiful family love story. And I think it's what makes our heavenly parents happy is when all of us love each other and support each other and on each other and, and preserve the family relationship. And this is really helpful for a lot of listeners. I'm so grateful you did this podcast. And there's things that that you've said that I won't pick up is particularly insightful, but it may just be what a listener needs from a dad, from a son, from a mom. So thank you for what you've done and, and who this family is and, and the great lives you all have ahead of you to help us create Zion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you, Broderick family, um, Phil, Joni, and Kyle, and this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.